Well, welcome listeners to 3CR and the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every Saturday. Uh, we are here to promote and to defend public education, and doesn't it need it? Well, we have um, a website at www.adogs.info, and uh, this week we have two press releases for you. And Andy's going to lead us off with press release 997. Dale's getting excited because we're getting very close to 1,000. But over to you, Andy. Thanks, Jean. And this is Press Relief 997. Critique of Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell's proposal to fully fund private schools. Australia is unusual in the Western world for having three schooling systems, public schools, Catholic schools and independent schools, which are actually mostly Anglican schools. The emergence of these systems and how they became funded by our governments has long historical roots, but it's led to inequalities that are now so entrenched that people have lost sight of the history. Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell have been spruiking their solution to these inequalities for about a year now, including at a Rationalist Society of Australia webinar. Their proposal is to fully fund Catholic and independent schools, allowing them to retain their religious character, but forcing them in exchange to open up their enrolments and stop charging fees. Trevor Cobold from Save Our Schools has hit back in a paper entitled Fully Funding Private Schools is No Solution to Inequity in Education. He argues, the proposal of Tom Greenwell and Chris Bonner to fully fund private schools, subject to them not charging fees and not enrolling students on the basis of ability, abrogates key long-standing principles of public education, namely that public schools are secular and do not discriminate on the basis of student background. The proposal explicitly permits private schools to promulgate their religious beliefs and values and to discriminate against students and teachers who do not share these beliefs. This is anathema to the founding principles of public education. Public schools must remain secular and take all comers, whatever their background, to provide access to education for all and to promote understanding and tolerance between different social groups. Nor would it eliminate social segregation between schools, as Greenwell and Bonner claim. Government funding of private schools that charge fees and restrict entry is not the only cause of social segregation between schools. A basic cause is the economic and geographical segregation of households. Fully funding private schools will not eliminate the extensive social segregation between schools in the western and eastern suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne, or between remote regions and prestigious suburbs of metropolitan cities. Greenwell and Bonner state that families should not have to pay fees to ensure their child's education reflects their values and preferences. This represents capitulation to private school lobby groups. Families pay fees to access the special ethos and character of private schools, whether it be religious education, social status or an old school tie network. The role of government funding for private schools is not to subsidise the costs of such choices. It should only support the learning needs of students in under-resourced schools. Parents, not taxpayers, must bear the costs of choosing a, a special ethos. So far, so good. But then he goes on to promote the latest incarnation of the needs policy. There is an alternative way forward to increase equity in education. It is to introduce a Gonski Plus funding model. It would involve re-estimation of the base schooling resource standard, SRS, and increased loadings for various categories of disadvantaged students and schools. 
Government funding for private schools would only be provided to fill the gap between private income and a revised base SRS. It would reduce social segregation between schools because it would end the overfunding of private schools and force them to increase fees, which would likely lead to a greater number of advantaged students being enrolled in public schools. Now here's the dog's position. The dogs congratulate Trevor Cobbold for distinguishing between public and schools which are secular and private schools which are sectarian. Inglis Clark and Henry Higgins, who put section 116 in the constitution, also understood the principles underlying separation of religion from the state and its implication for public education. But needs policies since 1973 have all founded on the private sector gaming the system and the fear of sectarianism if the rich Protestant schools are not bought off. The only way forward is to keep public public and private private and never the twain should meet. They are like chalk and cheese and this is why only public schools should be the schools which are publicly funded. And back to you, Jean. Well, many, many thanks, Andy. Um, our listeners who are listening in every week will realise that uh, we have referred to this matter before, but we thought it was important enough to put it in a press release. And Andy has just read you that press release, which you can find at our website. But here's the next one. Press release 998. Uh, it's, a, it's a scuttlebutt one. Up there in Brisbane, there's a school called St Paul's, which in the 80s and 90s had a teacher and a school counsellor. Well, I wonder if he was a uh, a chaplain, or anyway, a counsellor, <laughs> who were uh, causing trouble. Uh, they were sexually abusing children, large number of children. And uh, the school was in trouble, uh, and now the church is in trouble because the victims went to the Commission of Inquiry set up by Julia Gillard, and the Commission decided that these children, or they're now grown-ups, of course, their uh, families should be repaid the fees. But the Anglican Commission, Schools Commission in Brisbane, has decided that the current crop of parents should pay. It's a, it's a, a sum of well over $6 million. And this is a school which is publicly funded. The headmaster and the parents didn't agree and the headmaster got the sack. And Dale's going to tell us about it. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. And now I've got press release 998. Anglican Church Dirty Linen Exposed in Sacking of Brisbane School Headmaster. We hear a great deal about parental choice in private school rhetoric but in a recent case of a headmaster sacking at St Paul's in Brisbane the parents and students are finding that their choice of headmaster does not matter. The murky details of this case have been exposed by the ABC and are on YouTube if you want to go and find it. So the airing of the dirty linen indicates that decisions made at religious schools are related to finance rather than education or even religion. The Courier-Mail reported that Principal Dr Paul Browning from St Paul's School in Bald Hills was dismissed after an alleged toxic 
clash with the church, likely as a result of Dr Browning's commitment to compensating former students of the school who were sexually abused during the 1980s and 1990s. Former students were to be refunded tuition fees following a 2017 Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, which was initially backed by the... Anglican Church. The church later decided in 2018 that the school was to pay the tuition fees instead. However, in a letter to the school community, the chair of the Anglican Schools Commission, Bishop Jeremy Greaves, has denied claims that the handling of compensation for sexual abuse survivors was part of the decision to dismiss Dr Browning. This issue has not been part of the contract discussions. To suggest that it has played a part is disingenuous and a distraction, the letter read. It continued adding that it was a difficult decision about recognition of the fact that the relationship between employer and employee had broken, making Dr Browning's employment untenable. For some time there has been a drift in alignment between the leadership of the school and the ASC, disagreement around policy and procedures along with other more fundamental differences in purpose and vision for the school contributed to this, the letter read. The creator of a petition to reinstate the headmaster, Jody Belling, said that the community aren't buying the message that's been put forth forth as the reason. Belling described Dr Browning as a high-performing headmaster that puts St Paul's on a global level for the innovative learning tools that he has adapted into the school. And you want to say you have a conflict with the vision and the purpose that he's put forward for the school, she asked, adding that many parents send their children to St Paul's because of Dr Browning's strategic direction and insight. So we aren't buying the message that it's, that's been put forth as a reason, she told news.com.au. And if that is the reason, then there is a wider issue at stake. And that is that the ASC is deeply out of touch with the com- school community and what the school community wants. Reading between the lines, an objective observer could only make the following conclusions. One, as the employer of teachers in their schools, the Brisbane Brisbane Anglican Diocese doesn't want to pay for the incalculable harm caused by a teacher and school counsellor who systematically sexually abused a large number of children at St Paul's Anglican Church in Brisbane in the last 30 to 40 years. Two, the diocese want the school itself to pay a sum amounting to about six point. million for reimbursement of school fees to the victims and their families. Three, the headmaster, who has inherited a traumatised school community and done his best to heal the wounds, together with current parents, don't want to carry the financial burden involved. Four, the church hierarchy are determined to have the final say on this matter. This is not the only religious case where the innocent are expected to pay for the sins of sexual predators in religious schools. The parishioners of many churches have been presented with extensive legal bills and in some cases lost their church buildings. But behind all of this is the plain fact that these religious hierarchies are running a business with our money, almost $11 million in 2021.
If these schools are run as businesses by a central administration, whether it is religious or not, then they should pay taxes. Payroll tax, income tax, GST, land tax, stamp duty, rates, fringe benefit tax, etc, etc. If they are responsible for the sexual abuse of their students, then they should not be allowed to continue but be taken over by the public sector. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Dale, but we'll uh, have a little bit of a break now after that little bit of scuttlebutt. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, and now we've got a very, very interesting report from The Guardian this week. It turns out that researchers have discovered that almost half of the private school parents in Australia would consider switching to a better-funded public system if it was better funded, better, better funded, listen to that. How interesting. That means since roughly 36% go to private schools and 64% to public schools, about 82% would be going to the public sector. And make no mistake, listeners, ever since it was introduced in uh, 
1964 and certainly after 1978, state aid to private schools has been about market share. Back in 1978, there were 78% of children in public schools and the governments, by pouring the billions and billions and billions of dollars into uh, the private sector, have only brought it down to um, 64%. Interesting, isn't it? So no wonder our governments, particularly our conservative governments, have been uh, starving our public system and building up our private system. It's about market share. It's not about religion. It's not about ethos. It's not about values. It's about market share. And Maddie's going to tell us about it. Over to you, Maddie. Thanks, Jean. Almost half of private school parents would consider switching to a better funded public system, survey finds, is the title of the article, and it's by Caitlin Cassidy. Almost half of all parents with children in Australia's private schools would consider moving into the public system if it were better resourced, a new survey shows. The Lonergan Research Survey, commissioned by the Greens, polled more than 1,000 1, parents nationally with children enrolled from kindergarten to year 12. Of those with children at private schools, 48% of respondents agreed they would consider moving to a public school if they were better resourced, rising to 61% for parents with multiple children across both systems. Six in ten, which is 63% of parents, agreed public schools were underfunded. The findings came as the latest Australian Bureau of Statistics school data revealed the proportion of Australian children enrolling in public schools was continuing to decline despite cost of living pressures hitting families. The proportion of students enrolled in government schools dropped from just over 68% in 2002 to 64.5% last year. The Federal Education Minister, Jason Clare, said if enrolment data was not proof of why serious reform was needed in education, I don't know what is. I want public education to be the first choice for parents. Funding is critical, but so is what it does, he said. The Independent Schools Australia Chief Executive, Graham Catt, said all sectors should be fully funded. But resourcing was not the only reason there was a continued decline in public school enrolments, he said. The growth we are seeing in independent school enrolments is across the board, different types of schools with different levels of fees and across the country, Kat said. We believe multiple factors are influencing parents' choices and quality education is certainly an important one. Other factors include facilities and alignment of values or religion. The Greens senator and schools spokesperson Penny Allman-Payne said the results were a damning indictment of neglect in the public system. It reveals that many parents aren't choosing private schools, they're being left with no choice at all. Governments should not be in the business of spending public money to subsidise a private system that leeches resources from public schools and entrenches inequality. In July, Guardian Australia revealed real government funding to private schools had increased almost <clears throat> twice as much as funding to public schools in the decade since the landmark Gonski Review recommended changes designed to fund Australian schools according to need. 
Key to Gonski was the schooling resource standard, a needs-based model to provide a baseline education to students by 2023, set at $13,060 for primary students and $16,413 for secondary students. According to Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority data, 98% of private schools are funded above the SRS and more than 98% of public schools are funded below it. The latest Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development Education report found Australia's investment in public schools was significantly below the OECD average, while government funding on private schools was twice the OECD average, behind only Turkey and Colombia. Australian teachers also had higher than average workloads and class sizes compared with OECD nations. The Lonergan survey also found 81% of parents were in favour of pay and conditions being improved to attract and retain public school teachers, while 71% agreed public school teachers were overworked. The Australian Education Union Deputy Federal President Meredith Peace said it was incredibly urgent public schools were funded to at least 100% of the SRS to renew confidence in the sector. She said many public school staff had left the profession due to unsustainable workloads. Claire said a target for when public schools reached 100% of the SRS would be set imminently as negotiations with state and territory governments for the upcoming National School Reform Agreement began. This agreement expires in December. We are committed to working with state and territory governments to get every school on a path to 100% of its fair funding level, he said. Back to you, Jean. Uh, well, thank you very much, Maddie, and uh, we'll have a bit of a break. And then Sorrel is going to talk about the disability sector. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. We hope you're still listening to the dogs. 
And of course, public education is about the integration of children, all children. It is for all children. It's open to all children. That includes dis disabled children. And there is a whole question of the integration of the disabled, but it takes money. There's been a commission report and uh, there's a dissenting report in this commission report into the education of the disabled or into just disability in Australia. And in this dissenting report, uh, they recommend that public schools or that all, all disabled children should be integrated into the mainstream schools. It's a contentious issue, but Sorrell's going to, to read a very interesting article about it. Thanks, Jean. So this article is entitled Our Better Angels, Should We Include or Segregate Students? A disputed recommendation from the Disability Commission's report is whether or not segregated education should be phased out from 2025. Those commissioners advocating such a change are on the side of our better angels. It is proper to have an inclusive society and we should condemn any section of our community that segregates sections of the population. Any form of segregation evokes the injustice experienced when societies were divided by the colour of one's skin. This segregation is motivated by a child's ability, on the face of it equally offensive. So why is there some support for segregation in education and why is this only a problem for students with disabilities? In a recent article in The Conversation entitled Disability Royal Commissioners Disagreed Over Phasing Out Special Schools, Catherine Smith from the University of Melbourne and Professor Helen Dixon from the Public Service Research Organisation emphasised the failure to mention the private sector in the discussions. It seems no one expects the private sector to enrol these students, especially those whose disability is expressed in challenging behaviours. Predominantly, academics identify the villains in this debate as being the teachers. In the words of Linda Graham of the Queensland University of Technology, teachers are dumping the students they don't want to deal with. She claims that the exodus of families from mainstream systems is driven by a desire to find supportive environments for their children. I assume she believes this migration is to the special settings. This criticism is unfounded and serves no purpose other than to deflect the responsibility onto a predictable scapegoat. The overwhelming majority of teachers care deeply about all their students and want what is best for them. And I suggest those who quickly assume they don't want to deal with them should spend year after year actually providing the attention they require in a class with 30 other needy students. They have to try to achieve this with little or no extra resources. The reality is teachers want to help those special students. However, while attending to their extra needs, they are unavoidably neglecting the rest of the class. Where is the equity for these other children? To be clear, I am an advocate for inclusion across the board. I find all forms of segregation offensive. Students with disabilities should be part of their local school. By taking this stance, I am comfortable I would be accepted as a member of the Better Angels. However, I wonder if my membership would survive when the Angels realise I find those other students segregated by attending private schools just as offensive. They are separated not because of their disability, but by their parents' ability to afford the extra fees. 
These resource-rich parents feel their child, by attending these privileged schools, will have an advantage over others. I also find the existence of public selective schools who enrol students with superior abilities just as offensive. Teachers, in particular, need to be heard. Contrary to the fashionable blame game, teachers understand the developmental needs of all students. They appreciate the benefits when there is a truly all-embracing schooling. These include social inclusion that fosters a sense of belonging, the value of diversity in the classroom, which creates a rich social experience. In some cases, students with disabilities may perform better academically when integrated into regular classrooms because they share different solutions to the goals of a lesson and they are often mentored by their peers. Interaction across the range of personal characteristics, those with disabilities and those who are deemed gifted and talented can improve everyone's level of inclusion, leading to greater empathy, understanding and acceptance of differences across all communities. These effects apply equally to the integration of students back from special schools as well as, as, well as selective and private schools. There is a strong case to be made, both ethically and economically, for all funding for education to be distributed to local public comprehensive schools. However, to achieve these outcomes, those who control the public purse need to invest in public schools, which can provide a rich, diverse curriculum, provide realistic, supportive resources, including highly trained special education teachers and support staff, as well as specialised infrastructures and materials for all students, protect all students in a safe, secure environment. For example, students with severe behaviours, including autism, may be, become physically or psychologically violent towards their peers and teachers. There is ample evidence this already occurs on a daily basis. Also, those students with disabilities need to be protected, especially from being socially excluded or stigmatised. Socially integrate all students. Children do not recognise inequality until they are taught to compare their living conditions, including the school they attend with others. They soon become aware of their value relative to others. Despite their best efforts of teachers, students attending elite private schools are surrounded by evidence of their superior worth. Likewise, kids who attend underfunded, run-down schools in socially challenging communities are constantly reminded that they are not treated equitably and they can only conclude that they are not worth it. The current debate is, in a sense, obscene. Of course, I understand and support the case for equity as expressed in providing everyone according to their need. If this occurs, then disadvantage would evaporate. I take the view that ability does not define worth and that all students are not only treasured, they deserve the specific resources they need. It is no secret Australia's public education system is in crisis. So far, with the change of government, the noises coming out of both state and federal parliaments are positive, but they are words, and words are not enough. Jason Clare and his state ALP counterparts need to take a leaf out of Ben Chiefley's Light on the Hill speech. His mission statement not for not only the ALP, but all of Australia, was an emphasis on selflessness, compassion and social justice and the rejection of entrenched class divisions, equal respect for the highest achievers and values nurtured. The place to start this change is in our schools. And this article was written by John Frew. Uh, thank you and back over to you, Jean.
Well, thank you, Sarah. And now we've got a good news story. Up in New South Wales, the New South Wales Teachers Federation are perhaps the most militant in all of Australia. I think the Victorian uh, group could take a few lessons from them myself. That's my personal opinion. But um, Dale's going to tell us a good news story. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. This is an interesting article. Uh, it seems to be a bit of a win. So the New South Wales government puts pen to paper, inking pay rises for teachers. It's official. The heads of agreement poised to make beginning and top of scale school teachers the nation's best paid and deliver increases to all others has been signed. This is an historic moment and a credit to our members, Mr Rajendra said. Over several years, members lobbied tirelessly as part of the More Than Thanks campaign, phoning, emailing, visiting and protesting outside their local MP's office and undertaking industrial action. The heads of agreement varies the current award, extending it to 8th of October next year. The starting salary for a New South Wales teacher will increase from $75,791 to $85,000. And the salary for a top-of-the-scale teacher will increase from $113,042 to $122,100. All teachers will move to a new higher-paying step. School counsellors will be paid according to a new salary scale consisting of five annual steps, which recognises their dual qualification and acute staff shortages in their discipline. School counsellors at Band 2.3, senior psychologists' education and leaders' psychology practice will have their salaries adjusted to the same level as head teachers slash assistant principals, deputy principals and principals respectively. School counsellors at bands 1 to 2.2 will move to a new higher paying step on the salary scale. Casual teacher and casual counsellor school rates will also be adjusted upwards from a two-step scale to a three-step scale linked to the steps 1, 3 and 5 of the new full-time salary scale. Award-based allowances are also increased by 4%. The Heads of Agreement commits the government to ongoing negotiations regarding the following. 1. Workload, including the nature of the work, flexible arrangements and the right to disconnect and teaching loads. 2. Non-award-based allowances. 3. Principal classification structure. So Federation and the Department will negotiate a new three-year award to commence at the expiration of the varied award. So that seems to be a win for teachers up there in New South Wales. Back to you, Jean. So before we travel, ideas-wise, overseas, let's have a bit of a break. Join me, Aya Kwai, with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30pm on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African-Australian make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free.
from every corner of the land. Womankind, arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Militantly, never you fear! Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Tune in to Uprise Radio every first and third Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR. With Jackson and James, we're bringing you the in-depth analysis of what's happening in the world all in just 30 minutes. You can listen live to air or you can find us on demand. 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, I hope you're still listening to The Dogs program because Jeff is going to take us over to, first of all, the United States and then to Great Britain. Thanks, Jean. We're going to start with, as we normally do, with uh, a blog from Donna Ravitch. From, this one's from October 9, and it features a story on uh, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott. Um, it says, Abbott calls special session to force vouchers. Governor Greg Abbott really, really wants vouchers. The state Senate agrees with him. The House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans, but it thus far has refused to pass them. Rural Republicans in the House have allied with urban Democrats because both know that vouchers will harm their community public schools. But Abbott is pulling out all the stops. He even refused to raise teachers' salaries or increase public school funding until he gets a voucher bill. The Texas Observer comments, 
Governor Greg Abbott has called lawmakers back to a special legislative session starting this coming Monday, October 9th. His message to them, pass school vouchers or else. There's an easy way to get it done and there's a hard way, Abbott said during a September 19th Tele Town Hall. If we do not win in that first special session, we will have another special session and we'll come back again and again. And then if we don't win that time, we will have everything teed up in a way where we will be giving voters in, in a primary a choice. From bullying legislators to co-opting churches and religious services, Abbott wants to forge, force a voucher at all costs, says Patty Quincy, Legislative Director of the Texas American Federation of Teachers. Pulling the purse strings of Abbott's voucher campaign are a handful of billionaires who have invested millions to weaponise the far-right culture war propaganda to fund what the governor has branded as school choice for parents. Meanwhile, many public school districts started this school year with a budget deficit after the Senate refused to use the state's $33 billion budget surplus to increase school funding without the condition of passing universal vouchers. During the regular session, the House twice rejected proposals for vouchers or an educational savings account, citing constituent concerns that voucher programs would siphon money away from public schools. When the Senate attempted to force the House to accept universal vouchers in return for passing its school funding proposal, its author, Representative Ken King, pulled the bill. In the end, the Senate would not negotiate at all. It was a universal ESA or nothing, King wrote in his public statement. I'm committed to protecting the 5.5 million school kids in Texas from being used as political hostages. What the Governor and the Senate have done is inexcusable and I stand ready to set it right and continue to work for the best outcome for our students and schools. In early August, the House's 15-member Committee on Educational Opportunity and Enrichment issued its interim report signalling some members' willingness to compromise on school vouchers if they were limited to students with special needs and if the money to fund a voucher for a program came out of the state general revenue instead of the permanent school fund. Earlier this year, the Observer revealed how limited voucher programs in other states served as a Trojan horse for larger universal voucher programs, leaving public schools with large deficits and a loss of federal civil rights protections for parents who took their children out of public schools. We are $40 billion below the national average for school funding, so we have no business talking about any kind of program that takes more money out of our public schools, said Representative Gina Hino Yosa, who serves on the committee but declined to endorse its recommendations. Greg Abbott has vowed to keep calling special sessions until the legislature passes a voucher bill. So they are con- that's the end of the article. They are continually trying to push this agenda, taking money off public schools and giving it to private institutions, and it's being funded by billionaires who are put- laying the-, the-, the case for their funding of, uh, of basically the the electoral campaigns of politicians who support their interests. Anyway, now we're going to the UK, where there's an interesting article by Professor Rebecca Bowden, who is a fierce advocate of uh, public schools. She's now based in, in Finland. But uh, she has uh, written an article in The Guardian. Uh, this is dated Friday the 6th of October, 23. And it's, uh, Tories insist private schools need tax breaks, but take it from an expert, they're raking it in, she says. Uh, one of Labor's, she goes on, one of Labor's few firm policy commitments is to start changing VAT on Britain's fee-paying schools and full business rates, 
is to start charging VAT on Britain's fee-paying schools and full business rates on those in England, as already happens in Scotland. This has generated a loud but often poorly informed debate, as the Conservatives, ever-enthusiastic ever advocates for the independent sector, defend its tax breaks. The UK has about 2,600 private schools, both for profit and charitable, and they are all exempt from VAT, value-added tax. Additionally, the 1,300 schools with charitable status pay no corporation tax, capital gains tax or stamp duty. They also benefit from capital gains and inheritance tax relief and gift aid on donations. Records from 2020 show that Rishi Sunak and his wife, Ash. Akshata Mercy have donated more than £100,000 to his old school, Winchester College. If they donated this from their own funds, and depending on how much UK tax they had paid, the school could claim an extra £25,000 in gift aid from His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, their version of ATO. And Sunak and Mercy could claim back the difference between the basic rate and their higher rate of tax. Charitable schools also benefit from a minimum of 80% rebate on business rates in England. Scotland recently changed its law and now charges schools the full amount. These tax breaks, estimated to be worth more than £3 billion a year, are termed tax expenditures by economists. These are a type of public expenditure. In public finance terms, they have the same effect as taxing the schools and the government, then handing the money back as a grant. However, this expenditure is largely hidden from taxpayers because tax expenditures continue from year to year and are not part of the annual parliamentary budget process. We don't know the precise value of these tax breaks because there are no official published figures quantifying them. The National Audit Office states that the government does not publish the information needed to scrutinise the value for money of this type of public expenditure. Social justice aside, the evidence suggests that taxpayers' money is being spent very inefficiently because it is the private sector is because the private sector is extraordinarily well funded compared with state schools. The Institute for Fiscal Studies (IFS) estimates current average fees for each private student to be fifteen thousand pounds. £15,200 a year, compared with only £8,000 funding for each state sector pupil, a gap up from only £3,500 in 2009-10. Many charitable schools have existed for centuries, but these tax breaks are relatively new. While the nine so-called great schools, including Eton and Winchester, were always exempt, exempt from taxes, the 19th century saw the emergence of newer private schools which were liable to taxes. From the late 19th century, these made a series of unsuccessful legal challenges seeking the same tax privileges. Then, in 1927, their alumni in Parliament successfully lobbied the then-Chancellor Winston Churchill, an old Harrovian, for all charities to be tax-exempt. This approach to tax law remains in place, and this history demonstrates that the school's tax breaks can be relatively easily wound back, independent of any inevitably complex changes to their charitable status. Withdrawing tax expenditures can change customer, consumer behaviour if the associated increased costs are passed on to them. The Independent Schools Council lobby group has argued that the imposition of VAT would be a self-defeating 
would be self-defeating as significant numbers of parents would withdraw their children from private schools with consequent unmanageable increases in state school roles and reductions in anticipated tax revenues. There are about 560,000 to 570,000 children in fee-paying schools and about 24,000 state schools in England where most of the private schools are situated. Recent IFS research indicates that private school roles might eventually fall by between 3 and 7% if the cost of VAT and business rates were passed on. That would add £100 million to £300 million to the state education budget and an extra 0.7 to 1.7 children for each state school. State schools in London and South East England, where private schools are concentrated, are experiencing falling roles at present. The IFS concludes that withdrawal of the VAT exemption and the relief for business rates would raise an estimated £1.7 billion net per year, which Labor says it would put towards state school funding. Of course, schools are not legally obliged to actually pass on the cost of the VAT or any other tax to parents via increased fees. School fees have risen by 20% in real terms since 2010, and many schools appear to be engaged in a luxury facilities arms race. Staff-student ratios have not changed, suggesting that base costs are reasonably static. It therefore seems that the private sector has plenty of capacity to absorb the costs of VAT, business rates and other taxes. Finally, it's long been argued that tax breaks are justified because fee-paying parents save the state money by not using state schools. However, mainstream taxes are contributions to the Commonwealth, not fees for individual services. The childless cannot get a tax rebate for not using schools. These tax breaks are largely are a largely hidden public sub- subsidy to a sector already significantly better funded than state schools. Labor's plans are a good first step, but there is now an indisputable case for the removal of all tax privileges. In the long term, reform of these schools' charitable status should could ensure that their sizeable charitable assets are used to benefit all children, not just those whose families can afford to pay the high price price for access to private education. Um, that's an excellent article in The Guardian. And um, with that, I will pass back to Eugene. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, and now we come to the happiest time uh, of our program, our great state school. <laughs> Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school of the week is Can River Peter Twelve. Uh, so we've got a principal's welcome from their website. Welcome to Can River Peter 12 College. We are located 450 kilometres east of Melbourne in the forests of East Gippsland. Can River is a bustling cafe town on the Princess Highway. Our school delivers a highly focused curriculum from prep to year 12. We are able to deliver a wide range of VCE subjects due to our flexible approach in planning for each group of students. Our aim is to develop productive citizens with positive pathways to the world of work and society, and this we do more effectively each year. For most students, this will mean transition to life beyond the local area. 
Visitors note the sunny, welcoming nature of the school. The school has very high staff morale and support from the community. In a 2017 priority review, we found we had substantially achieved most of our goals, with the reviewer describing the school in his presentations as a fantastic school. This is in part because we are aware of the challenges for rural and remote students and we see our role as essential in the lives of young people. We have a very strong professional learning culture and we do this by targeting our needs and working consistently towards them. We have a whole school approach to the social and academic learning of each student, with every teacher knowing every student and progress carefully supported. We are highly responsive to different needs, abilities and interests of individual students. And so now um, I'll just read out some facts and figures from ACARA and you can see here why every teacher knows every student. The enrolment is 41. Uh, they have an ICSIA value, uh, a below average of 955, but it's very representative of the Australian community. Uh, so parents in the upper 25%, the richest uh, income band, uh, make up 2% of the school's population. The second level, uh, uh, from the 50% to 75%, is 16%. And the third 25%, which is below 50%, is 36%. And the lowest 25% uh, of parent incomes are 46% of the students. So it's a very small rural school and it's only one available for its local children, with 4% speaking a language other than English and 7% Indigenous students. Uh, the finances are, with uh, recurrent grants from the Australian Government, only $483,000. From the Victorian Government, $1.92 million. Fees and parental contributions are only $950, and there's private contributions adding up to another $32,000. So that comes to, per pupil, $51,877 per pupil. The capital is $2.23 million over three years, and their NAPLAN results, just fine. Well, congratulations to Can River. Uh, they have actually more money spent on them than a lot of private schools. It's a very, very good school indeed. It's a very happy small school. And, of course, it's only the public system that would give a school to these children in this remote area. But uh, you notice there's no private schools in that area. That's not, it's, not, it's not viable to worry about market share there in their business plans. But um, I'm afraid our time has gone. And, of course, we're very, very honoured that you have been listening to us this afternoon. Uh, we put a lot of our, our, our heartfelt uh, work into this, particularly Dale, our producer, of course. But um, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us on our website at www.adogs.info. And it's up to me to thank Dale and Andy and Sol and Maddie and also Jeff, of course, uh, for the program today. But from all of us, it is bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed 
they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.